quite amazing <clears throat> what's happening in the, the news uh, today. I don't know if you've heard the news today, but I think there's about 25 former cabinet ministers who are going to be putting a petition into the government about the redefining of marriage. I mean, there's quite a, an uprising within the inner echelons, as it were, of government. And there could be about 138 voting against uh, Conservatives voting against their, their own party, their own, their own leader. So we need to pray. This is happening on Tuesday, this second reading, this vote. And it's quite amazing what's happening. The uprising from the party is something that's unprecedented. This has never happened before. And so uh, we need to get into prayer that uh, we're going to get a shock on Tuesday when it comes to that vote. It might get through, I don't really know. That's the second, it's not finished yet, it's only the second reading. But there's never been such an uprising. And there was one older man who was, I reckon he was older, sounded that way anyway in the wireless. And he was saying that um, he would be handing in his card to the Conservative Party if uh, the MP that he had was voting against. It so happens that the MP that he has is voting against, or voting for, I should say. The MP that he has is voting against, and so you'll remain in that party. But he said, if my, if my MP was against, he says, I would be handing my cards in. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of uprising at the moment. So let's just pray that, that God will have his way in this whole matter. There's never been such an uprising of uh, opposition from within the government and outside of it. And, and yet... Perhaps they're not taking notice of what's happening. Let's just pray. Loving God, we just want to thank you for the institution of marriage, which is a lot older, Lord, than even the, uh, the, the world uh, thinks about it. In the word of God, it was right for man and woman to come together. Uh, and it seems that there's a, a law coming through to destroy that or to redefine it. And we ask, O oh Lord, that the powers of the enemy will not overcome what is good, what is right, what is lovely, what is true. And so we just pray for a shock to happen on Tuesday that will bring the government to realise that this is not something the nation wants. That there might even be a delay in this. So there might be a referendum and the people would be allowed to vote. Not the MPs, but the people would be allowed to vote on this matter. And so we just ask you, Lord, to undertaken this whole area and we pray for these leaflets that have been given out that people will read them will respond to them and will understand what's really going on in parliament at this time we pray for our own government in scotland as well that they will be caused to think of what's going on in the background here and we pray for people to be to lead us who are steeped in the word of god to understand your teaching and you know what is the best way ahead. And we give you thanks, Lord. You can do exceedingly more abundantly than all we can ask or think. So we ask you to make a way for righteousness and for truth to prevail. And bless your word to us now, we pray. In your name. Amen. Amen. There's many different ways that we get a word from the Lord, isn't there? Uh, sometimes there's something just strikes us. When we read the scriptures, maybe that UCB note, something strikes us. Uh, sometimes we, we read books. 
and they help us along the way. Well, Eileen gave me this book. Uh, I haven't actually finished yet. I'm nearly there. Uh, you should never turn down pages, by the way, like me. But never mind. <laughs> uh, I'm nearly, I'm nearly there. And uh, the writer, of course, is Helen Rosevear. I'm sure many of you have heard of Helen, Dr. Helen Rosevear, who was in the Congo. And there was an uprising there and she was attacked and raped and it was a terrible uh, scene in her life. And the first book that I've read of her is Give Me This Mountain. And that relates to the story of Caleb, Caleb in the Bible. Remember Caleb? And this is the other book here that Eileen gave me to read when I was feeling a bit down. And it's called Digging Ditches. And I was quite intrigued by the title. And she tells us in the first chapter that it comes from the Bible. She doesn't go into any detail about the story in the Bible, but she tells us that it comes from 2 Kings chapter 3 and verse 16. So I decided to do some exploration and to look at that uh, section. <clears throat> so what I want to do is I want to read the story from 2 Kings chapter 3 and then I want to try and explain it to you. So you've got your brains in gear, haven't you, today? I love the Old Testament. And there's lots of uh, stories there that uh, could run right past us unless we stopped and we thought about what they have to say. So let me read from Second Kings chapter 3. This is the area where the Lord spoke to Helen Roseview, especially verse 16. But I want to read the story behind that and the things that we can learn from it. Second Kings chapter 3, verse 1. Joram, sometimes he's called Jehoram, but sometimes it's Joram. <clears throat> now he is the son of Ahab and Jezebel. You remember Jezebel, don't you? And Ahab. Uh, it's hard to get a more wicked king than Ahab and Jezebel together. Although Jehoshaphat, the son of Nebat, he was the first one to take the, the split. Remember the kingdom split? Kingdom of Israel, you've got to remember that. Ten tribes to the north, and Samaria was the capital. Two tribes to the south, with Judah, uh, Jerusalem as the capital. So you've got to remember that. We're in the day of the split kingdom. So Ahab and Jezebel were from the north, and their son was Jehoram or Joram. That's the sort of context. Jehoram, the son of Ahab, became king of Israel in Samaria in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. And he reigned for twelve years, that is Jehoram. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, but not as his father and mother had done. He got rid of the sacred stone of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he clung to the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. He did not turn away from them. Now Mesha, or Mesha king of Moab, raised sheep. And he had to supply the king of Israel with a hundred thousand lambs, and with the wool of a hundred thousand rams. But after Ahab died, the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So at that time, King Joram set out from Samaria and mobilized all Israel. He also sent his message to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? I will go with you, he replied. I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. By what route shall we attack, he asked. Through the desert of Edom, he answered. 
So the king of Israel set out with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. After a, a roundabout march of seven days, the army had no more water for themselves or for the animals with them. What? exclaimed the king of Israel. Has the Lord called us three kings together only to hand us over to Moab? But Jehoshaphat asked, Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord through him? An officer of the king of Israel answered, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here. He used to pour water in the hands of Elijah. Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Edom, went down to him. Elisha said to the king of Israel, What do we have to do with each other? Go to the prophets of your own father and the prophets of your mother. No, the king of Israel answered, because it was the Lord who called us three kings together to hand us over to Moab. Elisha said, As surely as the Lord Almighty lives whom I serve, if I did not have respect for the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you or even notice you. Now bring me a harpist. And while the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came upon Elisha and he said, This is what the Lord says, Make this valley full of ditches. For this is what the Lord says, You will see neither wind nor rain, yet this valley will be filled with water, and your cattle and your other animals will drink. This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. Nothing too hard for the Lord. We just signed it, didn't it? This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. He will also hand Moab over to you. You will overthrow every fortified city and every major town. You will cut down every good tree, stop up all the springs and ruin every good field with stones. The next morning, about the time for offering the sacrifice, there it was. Water flowing from the direction of Eden, and the land was filled with water. Now all the Moabites had heard that the kings had come to fight against them, so every man, young and old, who could bear arms was called up and stationed on the border. And when they got up early in the morning, the sun was shining on the water. To the Moabites across the way, the water looked red like blood. That's blood, they said. Those kings must have fought and slaughtered each other now to the plunder Moab. But when the Moabites came to the camp of Israel, the Israelites rose up and fought them until they fled. And the Israelites invaded the land and slaughtered the Moabites. Now what are all the lessons we can learn from that? Well, let me just try and share with you some of the great things that we learn. I want you to look first of all at the prophet, the problem rather, that they feared. The Israelites feared the Moabites. The Moabites always presented a problem to Israel. They were the opposition. They were obstacles in the way of Israel making its way through the wilderness to the promised land. Moab was a problem in that area. So they were the obstacle. They were the problems. They were obstinate. They were in the way. And what happened was when Ahab was king of Israel with his wife Jezebel, the king of Moab, Mesha, had to pay some kind of tribute to him. And the tribute was a hundred thousand lambs. That's a lot of lambs, isn't it? And then the, the coat, the, the, the wool of a hundred thousand rams, <clears throat> that was an ongoing thing. 
But the king of Moab thought to himself, well, Ahab's dead, Jezebel is dead. I am not going to honour that promise anymore. I'm going to rise up against them. And so this whole story about these ditches arises from a broken promise. Now you may not be rich, you may not have a lot of talents like other people, but one thing that the Lord calls us to do, and that is to keep our promises. Sometimes the kids used to get back at us as parents and say, Ah, but Dad, you promised, you know. But I'm thinking about also the promises we make to God. Remember that old hymn that I used to sing at baptismal service? Oh Jesus, I have promised to serve you to the end. And so we find this whole story begins with the king of Moab breaking his promise to supply this tribute to the Israel. To, uh, and, and, and first of all in Ahab, and then Ahab died, to Jehoram. Broke the promise and decided to go against the nation of Israel. So that's the problem that was faced at the very beginning regarding Moab. And the wonderful thing is that God keeps his promises. Many of us, of all of us, have had to lean upon those everlasting arms. And especially the promises of God. There's a wonderful verse in the Old Testament about the promises of God. Look it up. It's worth looking at. It's 1 Kings chapter 8 and 56. I hardly even knew it was there myself. And all these years of studying the Bible. And God just gives you a little gem. And if you ever have a pen, you want to underline this. It's 1 Kings 8 and 56. You know what it says? Praise be to the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel just as he promised. Not one word has failed of all the good promises he gave through his servant Moses. Isn't that exciting? He gave them rest just as he has promised. And not one word of God's promises has ever failed. I think we all need to hold on to that, don't we? The promises of God will never fail. And so here we find this first lesson here. that This story began because of a broken promise. But God never breaks his promise. He is the yea and amen to us. And then we come to the plan that they formulated. That was the people that they feared with the Moabites. We come to the plan that they put together. And so the king of Israel thought to himself, I can't do this on my own. So he got this message to the king of Judah, the, the southern kingdom, who was Jehoshaphat. Now Jehoram is not a good king, right? Not as bad as Ahab and Jezebel, but he's not good. Jehoshaphat is a good king. A wonderful king. And then they decide to bring on board the king of Edom. Who's another obstacle, another thorn in the flesh, as it were. So you've got a coalition of three kings that really shouldn't come together at all. Because they're not very good. And Jehoshaphat may not have done, made the right decision by saying, your people are, are my people, and your, my horses are your horses, and what have you. So here's Jehoshaphat, Jehoram, and the king of Edom. Edom, of course, is next door to Moab. He would have an interest as well. The three of them try to get together and devise a plan outside of God. How many of us try that? 
Try and put a plan together for victory outside of God. I think we all have a go at that sometimes in our lives. We try to gain the victory over temptation, the victory over sin, and we go into some kind of coalition with other people who might lead us astray, who are not the best company to have. And we never really consult the Lord. And that was the situation that we had here. These three kings coming together, and then they decide on... That was the, the path that they followed. We're thinking about the plan they formulated. These three kings, we need to get together. And then we come to this uh, path that they followed. Which way are we going to go? One king said to the other. I think it was Jehoshaphat that said, it's hard to tell who's speaking there, whether it's Ahab's son or whether it's Jehoshaphat. Let's go by the south of the Dead Sea. Now, there's two ways they could go. One was the north of the Dead Sea, crossing over Jordan, a quicker way. The other way was going by the south of the Dead Sea, over the mountains, terribly mountainous area, and take the enemy by surprise. They decided to go the long way. The problem with that was, they were going round in circles for seven days, and they ended up with no water armed to the teeth with all these weapons but no water they weren't even fit to fight all because they had never asked the Lord they had never sought the Lord for his guidance as to whether they should go in the first place or how they should go it was really a whole plan that's being thought up by these three kings and folks it wasn't working they were coming through a desert area without any water. And then we get Jehoshaphat, the good king, saying, Is there a word from the Lord? I think it's time we got a word from the Lord. And somebody said, Oh, here, there is this prophet called Elisha. He's round about here. Why don't we go and seek his face? And so we find the next part of the story is they actually go, the, the preparation they forgot, they forgot to consult the Lord, they forgot to take enough water. And we find here, D.L. Moody says this, I believe firmly that the moment our hearts are emptied of pride and selfishness and ambition and everything that's contrary to God's law, the Holy Spirit will fill every corner of our hearts. But if we're full of pride and conceit and ambition and the world, there's no room for the Spirit of God. We must be emptied before we can be filled and that was their problem so full of themselves we can do this be three kings and so we come to the prophet Elisha what did Elisha say to them you disgust me or worse to that effect what have I got to do with you Jehoram you king of Israel why don't you go back to your own prophets why don't you go back to your own gods and you king of Eden, what are you doing here? And Elisha says, if it wasn't for my servant, the king Jehoshaphat, I wouldn't speak to you. I wouldn't even think about you. Which is very interesting. It was because the good king Jehoshaphat was with them that Elisha said, I'll give you the time of day. Because Jehoshaphat is here. I've no time for you, Jehoram. 
and all your badness and your wickedness. I've no time for you, King of Edom, but because Jehoshaphat is here, I'm prepared to do something for you. So what does Elisha do? He says, bring the guitar. Well, <laughs> bring the harp. Interesting, isn't that? Bring in the music. It's so interesting that Elisha says this. And why does he want to, the harpist to come in? Maybe it's to calm his own nerves. Maybe he's so full of anger in his own heart and he wants the harpist to come and play some music and, and calm him down. Or maybe he wants to calm the three kings down who have come and not received the best of receptions. But isn't it wonderful how God uses music? How the worship of music can prepare us for the word of the Lord. And the Bible says that as the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came upon Elisha and gave him a word. Isn't that interesting? That as the music was being played, the hand of the Lord was upon Elisha and Elisha gave him a word. And what was the word that Elisha gave? I want you to go and dig ditches in the valley. I want you to go and dig ditches in the valley. Which is very interesting because here we have a situation where they're really on the border with Moab. They're nearly there. But they can't fight because they're lacking in water. They've got all the armory, got all the army, everything they need. But they're in drought and they're not even fit to fight. And Elisha says, I want you to dig ditches because God is going to work a miracle. You won't hear the rain, you won't hear the wind, but God is going to fill the ditches with his water. And that's tremendous. Because what we find here is, it's actually digging ditches in the valley. Have you ever had a valley experience? I'm sure you have. It was ditches in the valley. And sometimes we go through these valley experiences. And, and Helen Rosefear in her book says, well, I spoke about, give me this mountain. She says, I'm now speaking about the valley experiences. When things are down. And she was diagnosed with breast cancer, I think it was, and had to go through an operation. Many things had happened to her. She came home from the mission field and couldn't make up her mind whether she should be at home or should be back in the coma. She's a doctor. And she was taking it very hard not to be involved in the mission field that she had been there for so long, 20 odd years. And here she is back home and she's not practicing at all. And so we find that uh, something is happening there. <laughs> so she's going through these valley experiences. And then it's also dead ditches in the desert. <coughs> there was a desert. Times of real dryness. You've ever felt dry in your spiritual life? I'm sure you have. Times when you've come to the conclusion the word of God isn't speaking anymore. There's a dryness about your soul and, and you long for that river to flow right through your own heart and mind. And also it was to dig ditches in the sight of the enemy because they were on the border with Moab. It reminded me of that verse in Psalm 23 Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. They were to dig ditches in the valley, in the desert in the presence of their enemies. 
So what is all this really saying to us? It's really saying, make a space for God to fill. Make a space for God to speak in your life. And sometimes that's the missing part in their hearts. We're so full of pride or we're so full of ourselves. We're so full of the idea that we are going to make it ourselves. Or in coalition with two or three other people who may bring us down or may lift us up. It depends on what kind of people they are. These three kings got together. A very queer coalition. But because of Jehoshaphat, Elisha said, I'll listen to you. I'll do something for you. And as the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came upon Elisha and said, Dig ditches in the valley. Somebody once said, If you're in a rut, dig a ditch. <laughs> if you're in a rut, dig a ditch. And so what happens is, quite remarkable, the next morning, when it came time for the sacrifice, guess what happened? The ditches were all filled. A miracle of miracles. The Moabites, because of the sun on the water of these ditches, what did they see? They saw blood. They thought they saw blood. The Israelites, the kings and the army saw water. But God made the Moabites see blood. You know, there's power in the blood, isn't there? There's power in the blood. The Israelites saw water. But the Moabites thought they saw blood. And they thought to themselves, these kings, they must be fighting themselves. The blood is flowing from the battlefield. We'll raise our head and we'll go and we'll sort them all out. That wasn't what happened, was it? What happened was, the Israelite kings, the army, defeated the Moabites. They settled that score. They saw water. The Moabites saw blood. There's power in the blood of Jesus. So really what we're actually saying at the end of the day is, will you make a space in your day for God to fill? Will you make a space in your quiet time for God to speak? Will you make a space for God to work in your own heart and mind? Why don't we start digging ditches? Because we need that river of God's Holy Spirit to flow through. We need that river of life. You don't know Jesus as your saviour. You need that river of life to flow through your own heart and mind. And we need to have that faith to believe that God can work a miracle. That God can do something. Without hearing the rain, without hearing the wind, they woke up in the morning and all the ditches were filled. The Moabites saw blood and thought they were going to be victorious. But it was God's people that were victorious because they thought they saw the blood. They saw the water, the water of life. It's a great story, isn't it? Digging ditches. I thought I would just go into it from the scriptures and find out what tremendous lessons God can have. So here's what I've taken you, if you've been able to follow me. There's been headings this morning, but never mind. The problem they feared was the Moabites. The plan that they formulated was a very strange coalition of three kings. The path that they followed, the longest, most difficult route, taking them round about the Dead Sea seven times and leaving them without any water. The preparation they forgot, they forgot to consult God. 
they forgot to take enough water. The prophet they faced was Elisha. And through the harpist, the word of the Lord came. And the pouring that followed, the pouring of that water, was an absolute miracle. And the great lesson is, create a space in your life for God to work. Create a space for God to work. Let's have a prayer. Lord, we thank you for these parts of the scripture that we don't often look at. And yet we thank you just for the teaching. So full of teaching in that area. And help us, Lord, that when we come together with others, to realise that you're the one that has the plan for our lives. Sometimes there are people who will lead us astray. Oftentimes there will be people who will help us on. Especially those that know you and love you. And we pray, Lord, for more people like that. That you'll help us to be in the right company and create a space for you to fill us with the water of your Spirit, with the water of life, and create that opportunity that you might take us and use us in this fellowship. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.